Welcome to Apostolic Perspectives, where the faith is raw, the exploits are radical, and the conversation is real. Prepare your life to be activated in the supernatural and your heart to be inspired to love as your host, Mike Brewer, shares stories from around the world. Enjoy today's episode and make sure to connect with us on all social media platforms. Five sounds of reformation. Five sounds of a new wineskin forming. I truly believe that we are hearing the sounds of reform which is leading to reformation in the body of Christ. What does that look like, you ask? I I can't tell you exactly what that's going to look like, but today I'm going to take you into five sounds that are leading to this reformation, five sounds that are, these are clarion calls. These are, these are uh, uh, things that are getting people's attentions. These are great shifts. And I think as all of these ingredients begin to be mixed in to the local family of God, it is literally going to bring us into a time of reforming and great reformation. Many of you may go, I have no idea what you're talking about. Many of you go, I know I am absolutely in the throes of being reformed. And guys, when when reformation hits you, you you are being shifted in your belief, in your context. You're being shifted as a person. Your organization is being shifted. You are abandoning old ways of doing things, even some evil ways of doing things that's just been accepted. And you're being brought into this new thing that God has been reforming. But there is feelings of insecurity. There's feelings of deep challenge. There is there is a, a deep internal work that takes place during Reformation. We can look back at other Reformations. I'm going to take us there in just a moment. But but you can look back at how other men and women of God went through great times of transition that literally led in their personal life to a great Reformation. But guys, what happens when when leaders begin to be reformed? It begins to trickle through others that are influenced by that leader. And then it begins to shift or organizations. It begins to shift systems. It begins to to shift uh, church as you have known it. And I use that church as you have known it. The system of church is what I'm talking about. We are throwing the shackles off of systems that have been handed down from generation to generation to generation. And what we're seeing as a result of it, this new wineskin begins to merge that is built on the life of the Spirit of God and the manifestation of Christ in their midst. So guys, Hold on, we're going to go, we're going to just jump into this really, really quickly. So I I mentioned the definition of reform, but I'm going to take you back, slow down just for a second. But the definition of reform means to amend, amendment of belief or amendment of conduct, to cause a person or an organization to abandon wrong or evil ways of life or conduct, wrong or evil. Guys, you can, you can have things wrong, but it's not necessarily evil in intent or nature. But the result of it produces a, a restraint. So I'm not saying everything is, is wrong or evil. Some of it's wrong. Some of it is evil. But both the wrong and the evil ways of life and conduct of a person or an organization, or we could say a gathering of people, gets reformed. 
This is happening whether you like it or you don't like it. There's things that's happened that makes me so uncomfortable, and I have to go be before the Lord and say, Father, send the refiner's fire upon my life. But the thing is, I am more passionate, more in love with Jesus than I am any system that I have ever learned. You've got to get to that place. Uh, Some may call it reckless abandonment. I call it captivated by the Christ. When your eyes have beheld the eyes of the risen Savior that is burning with fire, a passionate love both for his bride and then a fiery judgment that comes upon demonic systems and demons, um, it changes you. So as I'm talking about this, I want you to be able to see And ask the Holy Spirit to cause you to see what is the Christ, the Son of the living God, doing in your midst. So I gave you the definition of reform. I want to give you the definition of reformation. Reformation is the act of reforming or the state of being reformed. I think that's what's happening in us right now. Now, I'm not saying it's happening in the uh, it'll happen in the individuals. It'll happen in, in people that have a voice of influence. It'll happen it, traditionally, I believe, in the fivefold leaders. They'll begin to speak about these things. They are speaking about these things. I'm speaking about this right now. But those with a voice of influence that God has raised up are talking about reformation. Now, you, you can have some people talking about Reformation in private circles, and that's been happening, guys, for a long, long time, private, local conversations. But, guys, the, that those are happening all over the place. When you realize that you've been a part of a private conversation, but then you talk to someone else in a different region, a different state, or even a different nation, and they're having the same conversation. And then you get you hear other conversations and more conversations. And then there's some meetings that pop up, and you all find yourself in the same meeting. And people are being led in the same direction by the Holy Spirit. And there's an element of, uh, an element of, of I don't know what is happening, but I know it's happening. And then there's, there's leaders that are bringing forth language. Those are, those, those, they're giving language. There's other leaders bringing forth wisdom. There's other leaders that are bringing forth practical insights. And these are coming from the distinction of the apostle, the prophet, evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. And we've got to hear all of those. We can't just abandon the word and go on this prophetic direction. We can't just implement a strategy without being anchored in the word. We can't just do this thing. We've got to have the prophets declaring the timing of these things. So there's a there's a wisdom that God is bringing as he has brought us into a state of being reformed. This happened. I'm, I'm going to just, let's see here. Where am I going to take us? Let's, let's go to John chapter 2, and I'm going to look at verses 13 through 17 out of the NIV. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords. L- let me back up. He made a whip out of cords. Jesus, he made a whip out of cords. Guys, do not just pass over that statement. Jesus is preparing for the Passover. 
he goes into the temple courts and he finds people selling cows and sheep and doves and others sitting at money-changing tables. So he decides to make a whip out of cords. Can you imagine if your leadership came into the local assembly and saw what was going on and just goes over and sits at a table and starts making a leather whip? And he drove all of them out of the temple courts both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers. He threw over the tables. Can you imagine? What do you think the disciples were thinking at that time? You're going to get us killed. What are you doing? Because, guys, they had not seen anything different. This is the way things had been taking place from time and time and generation and generation. They were accustomed to it being that way. You have to put yourself in that, that, that first century mindset if you've been raised up in that system. And then you hear this, this weird rabbi. He's talking about some stuff. He's stirring some stuff up. And then all of a sudden, he just comes into the, into the temple courts. And he just quietly makes a whip out of some leather. And then he flips over the table. He cracks the whip. And he runs these people out of the temple. Just imagine that taking place today. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. That was what was happening to Jesus. He was being consumed for the house of God, not the temple, the people the people. He was being consumed with them. Guys, we cannot enter into um, reform. We can't enter into reformation without concern for the people. This is about God's people. It is not, hear me when I say this, it's not about the wineskin per se. It is about the people. So we're going to look here in Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to read you through some of the, the same scenario. Matthew 12, starting in verse 12, Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those that were selling doves. And it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. It goes on in verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. As the, the moment Jesus confronted this, the moment the zeal of God burst out of him, then the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. This speaks of healing that will begin to take place as the money changers are driven out of the temple as the business as usual is driven out of the temple, as a great, or great uh, uh, confrontation begins to take place, when the zeal of the Lord begins to consume you for the, his people, for the people of God, and you begin to confront the money changers, the money changers, the money changers. Do you hear that? When you begin to confront the money changers, then the blind, those, this is speaking of natural blindness, of course, and, and, and physical lameness. But we're going to look at it spiritually. Then the blind and the crippled begin to see and begin to walk. Healing breaks out in the people of God. 
going on in verse 15. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. Can you imagine? He's flipped over the tables. He's cracking a whip. People are running everywhere, not go, not knowing what is going on, not knowing that reformation has come upon them and the zeal of the Lord is bursting out of the Christ and it is manifesting in the temple and the children begin to cry out, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna to the son of David. The leaders were indignant. They wanted him silenced and they wanted him stopped. In verse 16, it says, do you hear what these children are saying? They ask him, yes, replied Jesus. Have you ever read from the lips of children and infants? You, the Lord has called forth praise. There is a praise that is rising up out of the people of God that are not being subject to the system of religion that has held the people of God back, that has caused them to be lame, that has caused them to become blind. Yet they say they see, but yet they are in blindness. This happened October 31st, 1517. Luther nailed his famous 95 thesis to the castle door. Not, not understanding a great reformation was taking place. He was just fed up with the things that, that was, was happening. He wanted a debate. He wanted to debate this guy named John Tetzel who was coming in representing the Catholic Church. He was raising money to build St. Peter's Basilica. He was selling these indulgences. And, and one, of his, one of his great sayings, this, this priest that came in, he said, when a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And Luther couldn't handle it anymore. He, he was done with this. He, he had been learning. He had been growing. God had been doing something within him. He wasn't seeking to, to split the church. He was just seeking to bring reforms in it. And guys, our hearts must be so pure as we begin to move into this thing that God is doing. Whatever it looks like in your circumstances, if God is shifting you from one place to another and it is bringing personal reform to you or it's bringing reformation to the system that you've been part of or there's simply a coming out of, of some system. Some systems are not, are not meant to be reformed. They're meant to die. If the system is bringing death and restraint to the body of Christ, if the system can't be restored, then the system needs to die and the system needs to shift. But listen, it, it is there is a massive shift that's taking place, and there is a casting off of a system but guys, you can have a you can have a bad system and good people in it, and it still produce some good things. You can have the right system and have bad people in it, and it'll produce destruction. It's not just about the wine skin; it's about the people that are in it. It is about the heart conformed to to the Christ. It is about the surrender and submission to the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have a, a person that is conformed to Christ and you have a person that is surrendered to the Holy Spirit, but they are in a system of control, a system that seeks to shut down their anointing, a system that seeks to, to manipulate their anointing, a system that seeks to prostitute their anointing, a system that wants to bring a good person in servitude to the system, then the system's got to be cast off and the person must move forward without the 
restraint of the system, and that's called reformation. That's called a reform, and we're finding ourselves in the midst of reform. So as Luther began to, to, to preach this, great dissension began to rise up. Opposition began to come against him, and he was called into a convention. He was basically he was put on trial for his views and for speaking about his, his views. But no one was able to provide irrefutable scriptural evidence that he was wrong. So they convicted him. They banned his writings. They declared him a, a, a convicted heretic at this point. So that is what many of you guys, as you are ministering and as you are bringing people into freedom, guys, people that are subservient to a system of religion, they are going to be irate with you. But don't take pleasure in that don't take pleasure in people that are hating you guys if you have an ounce of rejection in you that has not been healed if you have abandonment within you that has not been healed you will be prideful in the accusations and it will begin to feed something in you and then you're going to find yourself in the midst of a new forming wineskin with an old heart of woundedness and pain and you're not going to be healthy guys you cannot take pleasure in the opposition the opposition you've got to be broken over them because yes they might be representing this demonic system and demons that are trying to destroy you but they are people they are people that the lamb shed his blood for so you've got to not take pleasure in being rejected from people or a system, but you've got to have a broken heart that you weep over those that are trying to destroy you. You weep that the Christ, the cries of the Christ comes out of you for the people that are even speaking out against you. Even if everything they're saying is absolutely wrong, weep over them. Don't rejoice. Don't let an identity be built within you that, that takes pleasure in being rejected. We must weep and we must mourn and we must let the Spirit of God, let no pleasure rise within us because, guys, it will derail us going forward. Five sounds of the new wineskin. And guys, all of these could be broken down very, very deeply. And I cannot do that right now. But let me read you Matthew 9, 17, part B of this verse. They pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Well, let me, just give, let me give you the whole thing. Matthew 9, 16 and 17. No one sews a patch on unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wine skins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins, and both are preserved. You can stay in the old, or you can come into the new. But the new will take a shift in your thinking and in your experience and expectations. You see, wine is produced in cycles. It's all the way from the harvest, all the way through the preparation, through the crushing. There, there is a process 
in producing wine. While you're drinking wine from one cycle that is that has been you know grown in the field, it's been prepared, it's been aged, and you begin to drink from one cycle, there's another round of fruit that's being grown. You must understand that this wine comes in cycles. The wine skin is purposed for the wine. The wine's the most important, not the container. Hear me when I say that. The wine is the most important not the container. The container must, 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 must. The container must be adapted to the wine. We don't adapt the wine to the container. The container must be adapted to the wine. So as we're looking at the container, now it takes time, it takes thought, it takes preparation for the container, guys. It doesn't just come naturally. There, There is a, there's, a tending and a preparation for the container, knowing that the wine is in process, knowing that the wine is coming. Because if you don't have a container, the wine is just spilled out and it can't be served. So there is a process in preparing the container, absolutely. But the most important thing is the wine. Most important thing is the wine. Five sounds of reformation concerning the new wineskin. Number one is regional fivefold ministry teams. Ephesians 4.11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. That's what we call a fivefold ministry. And the purpose those were given to equip the people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. It, another translation says equip the people for the works of ministry. The ministry belongs to the people. The equipping belongs to the fivefold leadership team in the region. And then it goes on and gives us a time indicator here in verse 13. Basically, this is going to happen in verse 13, picks up, until we reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God become mature. That, that word mature is but we become complete, lacking nothing. To, to we come into this fullness of maturity attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So regional fivefold ministry teams, what does that look like? Well, many of us are just coming into that, and we can't tell you exactly what it's going to look like. But we know that there's going to be a few things happen. There's going to be a fivefold team, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Those are plural. There may be more than, more than one of those, and obviously they're going to be. But they begin to function as a team of equippers. It's not about one or the other. It's about having all of those grace giftings, we call these. These are the gifts or ascension gifts of Christ, we call it. So you have the apostle, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers coming together. So there may be, there's more than just five. I want you to hear that. It's not just about you get five together and you have a five-fold ministry team. There may be multiples. But the, the, the purpose here is they are coming together, those that are anointed, with the grace of the apostle, the grace of the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor and teachers, those that are called the equippers, they come together and they form this regional team. They each may have their own ministry. They may more work under, um, work together in, in one type of ministry, but they, they're called to serve the body of Christ in their region. So they come together, but they're coming together for the purpose of equipping the saints that the saints of God can do the work of the ministry. And they do this until we reach the fullness of faith. 
So number one, regional five-fold ministry teams. And again, a book can be written on all of these. Number two is strong local church eldership partnering with regional five-fold teams. Now, as this shift in the, the, the wineskin takes place, and we come out of church anity. We come out of this this system that's been handed down to us, and, and it's called church. We understand that we are the church. We don't go to the church, but the church assembles, and the church sometimes assembles in, in a large regional gathering, and the church also assembles in homes. The church assembles in storefronts. The church assembles wherever the church assembles. But there are elders in those assemblies. In James 5, 1 through 3, it says, The elders among you I appeal as, as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that under, under sorry, verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that are under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, to the elders that are in care, the local care of the flock of God, the people that are gathering. God gives elders to them, and they are to serve you and to shepherd you and to protect you, not lording over making decisions for you, but serving you and bringing you into this, this deeper place of maturity. And to the elders, you have a responsibility. And that responsibility is not just protecting them, but is also bringing them unto these fivefold teams for the equipping of the saints. There is a, there's a coming together and a partnering with regional five-fold teams and strong local eldership of the local assembly. And they come together with these five-fold teams. And guys, I've not saw that in a, in a very matured state. I've seen it in places, but I've not seen it come to full maturity. But I think that's one of the things that God is bringing us into. So I'm giving you five sounds of the new wineskin forming. Number three is among this, there is the sounds of deliverance, the sounds of deliverance. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you haven't visited the well, our local hub here in Maryville, Tennessee, but the sounds of deliverance can be heard. Often I'm on the phone or I'm in a meeting and, and down the hall, there's multiple rooms of deliverance and demons coming out of people. And when, when people are not used to that, they look at me across from the desk here and they go, what is happening? Like they're really concerned. And then I say, guys, it's the sounds of deliverance at the well. So Mark 1, 23, there was a blind man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, but Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. When the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud, loud voice, he came out of him and all were amazed. And I'm just going to drop down to verse 28 and immediately his Jesus fame spread throughout the region. So right there, that phrase, his fame spread throughout all of the region around Galilee. The sounds of deliverance increase the fame of Christ in the region. There is a tying together of deliverance with the region. 
you got to hear me. It's not just about individuals. It is about individuals, but there is also a greater thing. When a move of deliverance inside of a reformation moment takes place, it's about regional transformation. Now, there's always deliverance happening, but guys, when it is hitting a region on a large scale, you can be assured that Christ is coming into that region, and reformation will begin to result as deliverance sounds throughout that region. So that's number three, the sounds of deliverance. Number four, there's a restoration of family and family authority. Colossians 3.20, children obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Children don't lead the home, and it's time to get our homes in order. My friend Lisa Max has an amazing ministry, and the more I learn of it, the more I'm just just intrigued, and you've got you've to check that out. But children... Don't lead the home. That's the parent's responsibility to lead their children. And children are to, the, to obey the parents. And I'm not going to go deep into this. And then Colossians 3, 19, husbands love your wives and don't be harsh with them. And I really want to do a deep dive on this. You know, Andrea, my wife doesn't have authority over me, but she has authority with me. We lead the family together. We serve together. I am to love her, and she trusts me in that love. And the children are not in charge. My wife and I are in absolute unity, and we lead our children together. They watch us have conversations. They watch us have disagreements. We don't hide those things, but they don't watch us yell and scream and, and, and undermine each other. We're an absolute authority. And we do not move forward without that. Uh, I said we're in absolute unity. We do not move forward when we're not in unity. We operate as one. She's a female. I'm a male. We don't lose that distinction. But in Christ, we are one, and we move as one, and we walk forward as one, and we, we do the ministry as one, although we have different grace giftings inside the ministry. We complete each other, and our children further complete that. So there is coming a great restoration of family. And I think a lot of this is, is literally tied to um, gatherings in homes. Did you hear what I'm saying? I believe it's tied to gatherings in homes. Because a lot of people like to come out of the home and gather, and that's important as well. Those larger gatherings are absolutely important. Gathering with, with, with multiple families and hearing different things and further equipping regionally. But as we gather in homes, guys, we don't get to hide the mess. The dysfunction comes out, and it comes on display. But elders that are among us with secure marriages and strong families they see that dysfunction because it's absolutely on display and then they can mentor a family into wholeness families mentoring families in our in the west we're so individualistic the husband will go be mentored by somebody and somebody the wife will be mentored and then the children will be given to children's ministry and it's like ah no 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 families mentoring families and the only way you can understand healthy family is actually to be around a healthy family because many of you have been raised in such broken homes and dysfunctional families, you have never seen that witnessed. You've never been a part of that. And, and as you've raised up your family, your family's in, in extreme dysfunction, and you don't want to live like that, but you've never had it modeled differently. So you go to a church, and you see another family there, and everybody's dressed up in pretty and you leave feeling condemned sometimes, 
But if another family comes into your home, they get to model that family dynamic for you and your family, and it'll bring forth great encouragement. And then the fifth sound of reformation, and I really want to break this one down a lot, but but I'm not going to because we're about 30-something minutes into this. But there is a release and a coming forth of women. In Genesis 3.16, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, and in, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Guys, a lot of this stuff that is out of order between husband and wife is a result of the fall. Not a lot of it, all of it. The effects of the fall are to put male and female relationships out of order. The effects of the fall, as a result, a man would rule over a woman, and that's not the divine order. That's not how it was in the beginning. Male chauvinism, the need to be in control, is a product of the fall. And then the women's desire for her husband was put out of order as well. That word desire, I'm not going to give it to you in the Hebrew because I simply can't pronounce it, but it's not just desire, guys. It is the desire to be in control. That is a result of the fall. It said you're, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. That verse right there is a result of the fall. The husband being male chauvinistic ruling, and then the desire for the woman to usurp that rulership. But all of that was a result of the fall. That was not how it was designed to be. This reflects this ongoing battle of superiority and control. But Jesus came to, to redeem us from the curse of the fall and restore God's creational intent of healthy relationship between a husband and a wife. Even though Jesus didn't name a woman among his 12 disciples, he modeled it. And then we can go through all other things about women in Scripture, and I'm just not going to do that. But in Christ, the fall of this, this disrupted order between man and woman was dissolved and taken care of. And that's for a deep teaching another day. So, guys, there are sounds of reformation that we are hearing right now taking place in the body of Christ. These five sounds of reformation, I want to recap, regional five-fold ministry teams are coming forward. Number two, strong local church eldership partnering in regional five-fold teams. Number three, the sound of deliverance is sweeping into regions. And then number four is a restoration of family order. And then number five, as that family is brought into proper order, there'll be a release of anointed women of God coming upon the body of Christ. Guys, this has been a, a good time. God is bringing us into reformation. Enjoy Thank it. Surrender to Christ. To Apostolic Perspectives with your host, Mike Brewer. We hope that you are blessed by listening, and we encourage you to check us out on social media at facebook.com slash apostolicperspectives. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to keep up with all of the latest episodes.